0: Kido-kido. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is our Thursday question and a question and a Q&A gathering. We've been doing it for I don't know how many now, Andy? 60 some plus weeks. 60 something. plus. 60 plus. We started it um, as a way to hang out during COVID. So, what we're changing it just a little bit, we're actually asking everybody to do this totally geeky thing and turn on your camera, and everybody gets to wave a nice little hi. So we have a little bit of sangha feeling. Hi, everybody. Coolness. <laughs> it's always so nice to see everybody. Excellente, hey, cool. Okay, so um, I just came back from doing my first live event. It was, it was a private thing. There's a, a, a really cool entity, um, and so anyway, anyway, if you're new here, what, what I do most of most of the faces I recognize. If you're new here, what I usually do is is a tiny little riff on some things, um, announce some upcoming events, and then most of it's just uh, discussion, Q and A. We can talk about anything you want. So, oh, in terms of the um, upcoming events, tomorrow I'm interviewing um, a really wonderful neuroscientist, Ruben Lachan, who's a he's a poet. He he he's just such a hip guy. Um, I met him, I, I'm part of a group um, that meets every month. I was invited to join them last year. It's kind of a study groups going on for 11 years. I, they, were, they invited me in where uh, scientists, um, mostly neuroscientists, cognitive scientists, um, perceptual scientists and the like, some philosophers, scholars, and then the occasional um, kind of mystic Yogi, I guess as me um, comes in. And so I met Ruben in this format Um, And he's, this guy is really brilliant. He's done some incredibly interesting research on meditation. And so in a second, when I uh, say a couple of intro other intro comments, I'm gonna talk a little bit about what we're gonna talk about because he's really pretty remarkable. So that's gonna be, uh, uh, he's in Amsterdam. I'm interviewing him tomorrow. We'll probably post that early next week. Andy's gonna post in the little chat column. I got a couple of fun events coming in. Shawala Center, I just talked to the director about the program, I had a call with him just this afternoon. I'm doing a, a week long event there in a couple of weeks. This is a hybrid program. So it's both on land and um, streaming. And so he put the link up to that. It's I'm super excited about this. This is the second in a series that I started two years ago. Um, COVID interrupted it. It's a little bit similar. Some of you who may be a, have attending these with, uh, Bob Thurman through Menma, a little bit similar to those, but um, twice as much material, a lot deeper, a lot more comprehensive. So this is a week long program on the uh, karmic bar to becoming. Doesn't require any pre You can just show up, um, and so I'm really quite excited about that. And he's also going to put up my uh, Sedona program, which is a new event. I haven't done this before. Um, it's kind of a, a, a constructive critique of mindfulness, establishing the power of the mindfulness practices, and then introducing, so again, somewhat in the spirit of what we do on Monday nights, but a lot more depth and a lot more practices, um, kind of post-mindfulness practices. These are based on the two books I'm writing. Um, First one is done. I just have, I'm pitching it now to different houses. So the two books, uh, this one's called, Okay, I'm Mindful, Now What? I personally really like that title. We'll see if the publishers do, Uh, Exploring the Wonders of the Mind. Um, So that that book is done in kind of a sister volume, which I don't have a title for yet, but basically it it unpacks three of the practices I introduced in the first book, um, practices on uh, open awareness, contraction, the reverse meditations. Um, And so I'm really into this sort of stuff right now. And I'm super excited to share some of this with everybody who wants to come in Sedona. Sedona is not a hybrid program, it's in-person only. And uh, those of you who may have been there, it's a really beautiful place, kind of a Taoist retreat center, stunningly beautiful, smack in the middle of the magic kind of power vortex scene in Sedona. It's really fun, beautiful place. So anyway, I started to say, I, I just came back from doing my first in-person gig with a really nice entity that, that's called Nine Gates Mystery School. It's been around for over 30 years. And I was originally somewhat reticent when they invited me in four years ago to start a new whole new branch post um, Nine Gates Mystery School, they call it Esoteric School um, because I'm always a little bit leery of entities that, um just have too many kind of streams, you know, the nine gates, basically what they do is uh, they bring in nine different teachers in that level. There are only three in the program I did um, from all, you know, Christian, uh, Cynthia Bourgeau, you may know her, a Christian mystic, Hindu guy, Buddhist guy. Um, I mean, uh, a Sufi guy. And originally, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm not so sure about this, but I met the person who runs it. She um, reached out to me I was duly impressed and I figured I'd give it a try. So I tried it four years ago. It was really, I was super impressed with what she was doing. So I just came back from Tucson, um, where was it was a chipper, hundred and some every, every day. It was hot, um, but it was, I was so excited. Everybody was vaccinated. I was so excited about actually being with real people in a real teaching environment um, for five days. I had so much fun. So anyway, I'm a little jazzed because of all that. I'm kind of excited. So um, what I did wanna say before I turn to questions and you can ping them in the chat column. You can send them to Andy, he'll put them in the doc. I'll read some of the questions that are in the doc. And then most important really best for me is just raise your hand I'm in the reaction box. We'll choose you or pick, you or unmute you. and Come on, you can ask your question live. But I wanted to say a little bit about what I'm gonna be talking with Ruben on tomorrow Because when I saw his presentation, he is about to publish in a a, a quite a prestigious journal, a really, I think potentially watershed paper, scientific paper with another scientist um, that talks a lot about what's called top-down predictive processing. It's a a technical term for how it is that we bring our history to bear um, on everything, that we don't see things purely that everything is stained by uh, um, kind of uh, graded levels of obscuration history. And a lot of it is based on prediction, the brain's best guess theory that we fundamentally have, we have no clue what's going on out there. Um, Interestingly enough, this is what I'm gonna be talking to Ruben with, is fundamentally there's not even an out there, out there. So we have no idea, ego has no idea what's actually happening And so through this kind of top-down predicting process, the brain in a hierarchical way brings all this predictive apparatus to basically um, create what other scientists call the brain's best guess theory of reality or or, um, perception. And what he talks about is um, all these different levels of history that we bring to what arises in the phenomenal world to reality. And then what, what? after he goes through a very rigorous, really comprehensive um, look at all the science behind these predictive processing layers of the brain. Um, and this by the way, parenthetically is, is why dreaming is so incredibly cool because usually they, they talk about top-down versus bottom-up. So bottom-up processing actually isn't processing so much at all. It's basically what the senses bring in. That's the kind of bottom-up, what the world actually arises. It's called vastu in um, Sanskrit. And the top down is what the, is what the brain brings down on top of the bottom up to create the collage, the version of sensory input mixed with um, our expectations, hopes, fears, histories, you name it to create our version of reality. And so the reason we're bringing him on and how it connects to dreams is what happens in the dream state is there's no bottom up. It's all top down. In other words, There's no sensory input in the dream. Um, It's just your mind manifesting. So basically in the dream state, you can explore the powers of this top-down processing. Um, And so we're gonna be talking a little bit about that, but what Ruben presented in his paper, draft of it to us, he had one slide that just really smacked me. I thought it was so insightful. And uh, some of you may have heard me saying or referring to it. he had a slide where he basically said at the end, resting in the present moment is annihilation. Um, it's an astounding statement. And what he then goes to speak and write about with real elegance is how when you rest in the present moment through meditation, and this is what he does in his paper. He, he starts, it's, it's just like completely resonant with this book I'm writing. The second book on contraction in open awareness um, It's like, oh my God, Ruben, this is exactly what I'm talking about. So what he does is in a threefold manner that is completely resonant with my book is he talks about how resting in the present moment through basic shamatha, and then um, open awareness of Vipassana, and then non-dual resting um, nature of minds like Mahamudra Dzogchen, that we fundamentally have this unbelievable precious opportunity in meditation to deconstruct all this top-down predictor processing. So it's a scientific, really smart way to talk about what happens in the brain and the perceptual apparatus when we rest in the present moment through meditation. And, oh my gosh, there's so many implications here. But one of the things I'm going to be talking to him, because Ruben doesn't say this in his paper, so this is where I'm going to um, hang this on him tomorrow and and see where we can take with it. But one of the really remarkable uh, contemplations, like how far this actually goes, is that um, resting in the present moment is annihilation. Um, in my experience, this goes so far that not only can you deconstruct all the history that you bring. Um, I often use this quote from James Joyce, history is a nightmare from which I'm trying to awake. So in this languaging, it's predictive processing that you know we want the world to arise um, in a predictable way. That's kind of ego's uh, default mode network. And so when it doesn't, when there's dissonance between predictor processing and what's actually happening, that's when things get really, really interesting. But very briefly, what I'm gonna talk to him about, one of the many things is that you can rest in the present moment so completely that even the present moment is annihilated. In other words, that even the present moment itself is a construct. Um, And so, this is one of the, the things that the Padmasambhava talked about um, when, when he mentions what's called the fourth moment, which is beyond past, present and future, kind of the timeless um, immortal, pretemporal pre-spatial um, experience that, that is not limited to the constructs of time itself. And so therefore, again, using it in it, you know depending on how deep in the hierarchical, structuring these predictive processings are embedded, whether it's through shamata, that erases a host, deconstructs a host of predicting processes, but that only takes you so far. Then you kind of hand, I was watching the Olympics last night a little bit, um, the baton, the relay races. The Americans lost the four by 100. Are are you kidding me? They got sixth place. Like, come on, you guys. Shocker, just in case anybody's watching. So the baton's handed off, from Shamatha to open awareness, that helps you um, kind of deconstruct another kind of bandwidth of predictor processing and um, history. And then that finally hands off the baton even more subtly in the non-dual meditations, um, where you, you actually start to deconstruct kind of a kind of a flatline baseline presentation of what's actually really happening. So um, I'm very excited to talk about this stuff with Ruben because. Not only is he a really um, clever cognitive neuroscientist, but he's also a deep meditator. And, and these are the people now that that I'm so. this is one reason I joined this group. So interested. Tom Metzinger is, is part of the gang. You know, he's one of the world's most esteemed philosophers, and uh, like a 40-year practitioner. Um, and so, to me, it, it, these are the people that I'm really interested in having dialogue with. Um, because you know, kind of the hardcore philosophers, the hardcore scientists, those who aren't interested in anything resembling contemplation, that aren't interested in anything resembling meditation. Honestly, I, I, I hate to say it, I just get a little bored with their um, self-absorption. <laughs> um, and so this is what makes Ruben and some of these other scientists so incredibly cool uh, to chat with, because they have the experience on the cushion, and then they. Um, work with it in this really rigorous scientific way. And the other thing I'll be talking about with, with Ruben, there was a question that came in today um, is how do psychedelics work with this? You know, what, what in fact is the role of these agents? I can't tell you how often these questions are coming in these days. Like what, what actually is the role of LSD, psilocybin, ayahuasca, DNT and the like? So um, this is not in a Ruben's paper either, but I'm gonna to talk to him a little bit about this and see where he's going with it. So I just wanted to, to toss those, some things around uh, that topic your way because it's just on my radar. That's what I'll be uh, riffing with him tomorrow. And so the rest of the time is really about um, you guys. So let me go through some of these questions. Some were just submitted today or, and are, are rather quick. Some are a little bit more involved, but I will answer them all. Um, so here's some of the quick ones. From Stephanie, my dear friend, you once quoted someone saying We think we think we see things clearly, but that's because we don't see yet. So that's Brian Josephson, Stephanie. Brian Josephson, he's a physicist, Nobel Prize winner. And uh, what he said was, we think that we think clearly. I I love this quote. It's just so great. We think that we think clearly, but it's only because we don't think clearly. (laughs) It's like, it's just like perfect. I love it. And I use it um, because it's a wonderful segue into the three uh, wisdom tools, um, where thinking only goes so far. Um, at a certain point, you have to get past thinking. Okay, here's a live chat one. Uh, I'll go through these these quick ones, because they're easy. Do you think you'll do the Sedona Meditation Program again in the future? I don't know if I'm still alive. (laughs) Fran, I might be dead by I might be dead by this year. I might not get there. Hey, you never know. We're all falling. We don't know where we're gonna hit the ground, right? I could hit the ground before before I finish this drink. <laughs> um, you never know. So, Fran, if I if I do not hit the ground between now and then, um we will probably do this annually. We'll see. I don't know. I love Sedona, it's, it's one of my favorite retreat centers. It's hard to find really nice retreat centers, which is why I love SMC. That's two hours from me, that's easy. So don't I have to fly to, but it's so beautiful that I'm willing to do it. Um, and so we hope to, to do things there annually. The, the really hot retreat centers are, if you lose your book spot, you'll, you'll never get back in um, because they're so coveted these days, they're hard to grab. And so this is my fifth program down there. And I don't wanna release that time because it's a great place and I'll lose it. So. I hope the travel restrictions to Europe will be lifted by October and I can make it. I hope you can make it too. Um, It's gonna be great fun. Raul, anything in Canada? Uh, You know, not with COVID happening, Raul. There's still so much uncertainty. Um, And you know, the Delta virus, you know all about the Delta thing. Listen, take my word on this. It's not gonna stop with Delta. It's gonna be Epsilon or whatever. It's just gonna keep pinging. These viruses are, they mutate, and the more, um, the less people get vaccinated, the more the, the thing propagates, the more mutations arise. Delta is not the end. We could go through this whole crap show again and again and again. As the, as the virus continues to mutate, you get these breakthrough infections, the virus, the, the vaccination doesn't even work anymore. And then they have to start the whole thing all over again. So, because of that, um, I'm still, I'm not doing anything internationally. I had stuff in Korea that was canceled. Um, So nothing in Canada, my friend. Uh, Everything that will be posted that I'm I'm doing is posted on my website. Um, And if something shows up in Canada, I'll let you know, but nothing scheduled. Ruben Lakanan, his last name. Um, Andy, can you pull it up and spell it? I think it's L-A-U-K-K-E-N-O-N. Check out his website. This guy's a rock star. Yeah, when, you know, you read his work. I'll see if I can get the paper um, once it's published. It's not even published yet. Uh, it'll be published in, I think, September, October. I'll see if I'll get permission to post it. This is a really smart guy. Um, oh, Joe's here, Joe Parent. Hey, Joe. Yeah, they hadn't practiced the relay enough. Just started two days before. Are you kidding me? Two days before? Yeah, yeah I was bummed. I mean, not really, it's like. Manny, live chat, uh, what's the study group called? Yeah, I, that's a, they don't have an online presence. It's, it's called it's CON, C-O-N-D-S, Consciousness, Non-Duality and Science. In fact, dear, my dear friend Joe Parent is, not, is in this group. It's, it's an in-house thing. It's not, it's, there's no public platform at all. So it's just, it's kind of a little think tank um, that is not available to the outside. So unfortunately, there's no way you can access this, which is too bad. I I, maybe, you know, when I'm there a little bit longer, maybe I can say, hey, why don't you share some of this wealth? Because, oh my gosh, I mean, we had Tom Metzinger. I mean, I was blessed to to be invited to present um, last month. I don't get nervous very often when I present because I do this like constantly. But when I'm talking to like these really, you know, like elite type people, it was like, I was nervous. It was great. Really forced me to be on my game. So that, that thing unfortunately is closed. Um, can you please do a retreat at Chris Wallace's? Yeah, Chris has actually invited me. Um, I'm thinking about it very seriously, Kara. Chris has invited me, um, I adore his work. He's such a great guy. He's, he and um, Ben Williams, another dear friend of him and he, the three of us used to hang out together in Boulder And Chris has invited Ben and and I to both come over and do something with him in Portugal. I also have a friend I'm supposed to meet with in Spain. So uh, maybe, maybe some time with Chris in in, uh, Portugal, because I love this guy so much. Can the Sedona retreat be recorded? Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, Myra, let me think about that. Um, Let me think about that. I, I can't say for sure. So those are easy, quick questions. Now we'll get to some of the the other ones here so oh here's another easy one hi andrew greetings from france hi from france am i making things up or did you mention some time ago that you're working on a book on contraction yes yes in fact the that was the original book a book on open awareness contraction and the reverse meditations and then the other book i realized halfway through this book i had over 140 pages written and i said you know i need to write a prequel I need to write a prequel to situate these practices, so I dropped that book, went back, wrote this other one that I that I finished just a month ago. So that's okay. I'm mindful about what. So that's now the prequel. That has a maybe 15 pages on contraction. The book has a um, like 70 pages on contraction. It's a it's a, a this. Is, I'm so into this topic. It's it's actually the basis of sound. It's connected to mantra. It's connected to vibrations, It's connected to the nature of reality, string theory and physics where literally particles are now um, thought about as um, literally like music almost, <laughs> literally vibrations, literally strings. Um, the Spandakartakas, again, Chris Wallace um, rests on this a lot. It's one of the main teachings of uh, Nandula Shaiva Tantra. Um, the doctrine on vibration is all about contraction and expansion. Kaduma teachings, the uh, mystical um, kind of post- Kabbalistic uh, Jewish mysticism talks a lot about contraction. I, there's so much to say on this topic and so yeah, I'm writing two books on it. Okay, you did not make it up. I am writing it and I'm super excited about it. Okay, so here's Tim. Oh yeah, so this is connected also to the question from Osh, uh, from um, Wake and Ocean so I can connect these two. Hey, Andrew, I wanted to ask you what your current view is on the use of psychedelics on the spiritual journey. They seem to have been of use to a number of spiritual seekers. Others say they should be avoided. It seems that some of the experiences produced by them may be similar to dreams or lucid dreams. Yeah, David J. Brown actually writes about this a little bit in this very specific context, Tim, in his book. Um, what's it called? Um, Dreaming Yourself Awake? Not Something like Dreaming Yourself Awake, something like that. He has a section on, on um, how these agents relate to lucid dreams. Back to you, is experience valuable just as experience itself, regardless of how it is produced? Yes. Or is there a difference? Yes to that too, I'll say more. It seems that this issue is not very clear with varying opinions present on the subject. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I have some thoughts on this. Uh, let me again, like I always do, the books that have really influenced me on this that have actually made me change my tune on this because I used to be much more conservative. Michael Pollan's really incredible. What a great writer this guy is, right? Uh, How to Change Your Mind, that's a really good book. And then just as good, I think is um, James Kingsland. I interviewed James on you know over a year and a half ago. He wrote a marvelous book, um, Am I Dreaming? How... Um, how altered states can reboot the brain. Consciousness, the neuroscience of consciousness and how altered states can reboot the brain. And so he talks a lot about lucid dreams. Um, that's how he reached out to me initially. And then he has a really um, couple, very interesting chapters on uh, these agents. Stan Groff has been working. He's the MD PhD from the Czech Republic. He's been working with this stuff for 60 years, probably even 70 at this point. Uh, his landmark work uh, summarized in a book called The Ultimate Journey, which is how we used decades ago, started using LSD to help people prepare for death. And that's come back and they're using this a lot. 60 Minutes did a riff on this like a year and a half ago. How you know interviewing people, they were just terrified of death in a proper and setting, they have a guided trip and all fear of death is, uh, or largely is just removed. So um, there's a lot to say here. It, these agents have a place. They, the question is, what is that place and how do we keep it there? Because um, here's the, best, the blessing and the curse with these agents. The blessing, Tim, and also awake and Ocean, they, is that these agents can indeed act as a kind of pointing out transmission or pointing in. They're actually sometimes called entheogens, right? Um, the divine within. And so they can actually work to, to Um, interrupt some of this top-down predictive processing and allow you to see things in in a a less constructed way. So they they work beautifully. This is why I'm gonna talk to Ruben about it. They work beautifully with with deconstruction and therefore they can actually point out um, certain aspects of the nature of reality. Um, I'm not so entirely sure about full blown unequivocal um, Dharmakaya, nature of mind. I mean, I've done NASA twice. I, had, I did not have that experience, but I had experiences where I could, um, I was studying the Yogacara pretty deeply at the time. Super interesting because I could actually watch um, what I thought was seventh and eighth consciousness is coming back in my mind. So it can take you really, really deep. I, I can't say with authority, but I'm not sure it can take you all the way. But what it can do is totally grease the skids and point out dimensions of reality that were previously um, completely obscured by all these adventitious defilements and, and top down processing um, debris. And so here's the way I look at it now. I, I, I say this with some caution, but I, I reflected on this and it makes a little bit of sense to me that if you look at this very carefully, it's actually it could be a form of tantra. And by this, what I mean is that one of the principal Characteristics of tantra is body is as important as mind. So what you do in tantra using subtle body yogas, and in this respect, really uh, dream yoga is a kind of tantric body because you use the subtle body to invoke certain correlative qualities of subtle mind. So um, every phenomenal experience, um, it's called neurophenomenology. So every phenomenal experience, everything we experience until we experience completely formless dimensions, which I argue are no longer um, defined by brain processes whatsoever. In fact, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that's actually characteristic of really super deep spiritual experience is not the increase in brain activity, but the reduction of brain activity. Exactly what Ruben's talking about. Um, Hypoxia, you know, when you don't have enough oxygen, near-death experiences, so many Really deep, um, mystical, so-called breakthrough experiences are brought about when the brain turns off, not when it turns on. And so the brain just, you know, it it it's what creates constructs this version of duality. And so the more you can take that puppy offline, again, this happens in super deep meditation, happens in death. The more you deconstruct the constructed version of duality and reality, and so every experience phenomenology has a neural correlate, a brain signature, until you get to incredibly super subtle states that don't have brain signatures in in my estimation. That's just my view. Um, And so therefore you can use one to work with the other, is the bi-directional thing. So you can use um, experience mind to work with body brain, and then you can also use body and brain to work with mind. And so the the reason this is, I I cautiously say that this can be viewed as a type of Tantra is body is is as important as mind. And when you're working with these agents, you're working with the the neurochemistry of your brain of consciousness. That's working with body, that's working with form at the level of neurology, the level of, of neurotransmitters and the way all these agents actually work. And so therefore, I think it does have a place. But it has to be done extremely. And so I have to immediately make this, dec- this disclaimer, this is a public venue, um, these agents are not legal, even though psilocybin is decriminalized, here in Colorado, they're still illegal. I am not, this bold claimer, I'm not, I'm not endorsing these agents and telling you to break the law. I am not doing that. I am saying that there is a reason these agents have been used in, in religious traditions, Ayahuasca, Peyote you know, for millennia. Um, and by the way, the people who discover these plants, people, they are often asked, well, how do, you, how do you choose these plants? How do you know? And the shamans, um, similar to the great siddhas who actually hear the sounds of nature, they hear the mantras, nature speaks to them in this way. These shamans, kind of nature siddhas, they say the plants talk to them, the plants tell them um, where to go. So that's how they find these things. And so therefore they have a place, but the, the key is to find that place and keep it there that they can point out transmissions. They, they, they can reveal certain dimensions, state experiences, but the trick is then what do you do with that? What do you do with that? How do you transform a state into a trait an experience into realization without becoming a state junkie That's the shadow side. A lot of people can become state junkies. I just want that high. It's interesting, generally, mostly these agents are not addictive in that particular way. But the question is, again, what do you do with it? Well, you know, you're not gonna like continue to fry your brain doing this stuff. For me, it's like, have have the state pointed out, then go to the cushion and stabilize it through meditation. Um, And there are people now I have actually seen (laughs) some people doing meditation retreats where they're doing this kind of thing. It's like, whoa, that is really gutsy stuff. Um, my astronaut, um, no, no, this is him. Somebody else is telling me about places now in Costa Rica and others where you can go and do like a week ceremony that includes three or four ayahuasca trips. I haven't done that yet. Um, maybe someday, we'll see. But the idea is they do have a place. Um, you just have to know what that place is. <clears throat> And so I, I did want to say one thing else, uh, one more thing about this, about how this stuff works, that what, what LSD does, and there's, some interest, there's an interesting theory now, it's called the rebus, R-E-B-U-S, the rebus model of psychedelics, relaxed beliefs under psychedelics. Um, Google it, rebus, R-E-B-U-S, relaxed beliefs under psychedelics. And basically it's just what it sounds like, that when you're on these agents, it, sometimes they talk about it, it topographically, it flattens the landscape. It gets rid of all the peaks and valleys of our belief systems. And in a somewhat equanimous way, reducing top-down processing, inviting more bottom-up processing, more contact with senses and stuff, you kind of level the playing field. And so um, what it also does therefore is it lowers the barriers that constrain your thoughts, frees the minds to wander more readily Just similar things, by the way, that also happen in deep meditation. So there are some courageous scientists doing these sorts of studies in FMRIs, comparing neurological signatures, both with these agents and also with meditators. Um, And so it it works to um, connect different parts of the brain that may have been previously not talking to each other, sometimes even for many, many dozens of years, returning you to kind of a childlike wondrous way of relating to the world. Um, and so, again, this is a really big topic, Tim, in, in wake and ocean, three, three people ask questions similar to this. Maybe that's enough on, on that for now. If you want to come on and talk about this sort of thing, we're happy to do that. OK, so, oh, here's one from Canada live. It's important that people know that taking psychedelics on our own isn't the same as the guided journey. Good for you, 100% agree. The most important quality and ingredient for a successful trip really is set and setting where you create a mandala in Buddhist language. You create a holding environment in psychological language. You create a container that actually allows you to work with this agent in a non kind of indulged um, recreational way. So you're really, you're using it. You're creating the proper environment where it can be done. So I totally agree with you. People don't seem to get the same results in terms of alleviation of depression, fear, trauma, et cetera. Yes, yes, I totally agree with you, 100%. Okay, from Eric, and then we'll open it up for some live ones. Can you say something about your view on afflictive emotions, Klesha in Sanskrit? And deep obscurations, okay. When to bring them on the path and when to abandon them or try to counter them. It's a long question, I'll read it and then I'll back pillow. Um, When to bring them onto the path, when to abandon them or when to counter them with antidotes. Both Reggie Ray and Sat Shree that I have worked with most closely with the past years are big on meeting this type of content. Something that does resonate with me, but sometimes it's just so very challenging. I'm going through a period right now when what I think is deep obscuration, maybe even a birth trauma is coloring my experience and it is really hard not to have it affect my practice. Been listening to a Buddhist nun reading texts the Padmasambhava Longchampa on YouTube, go YouTube. And in there, I came across a verse that went along these lines, something like uh, memory, from my memory, shouldn't a yogi bring afflictive emotions onto the path? Yes, that should be done, but it's very difficult. So therefore it is best to renounce and abandon them. Stay in a mountain retreat and avoid worldly people. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, okay, what are your thoughts, personal experiences, whatever you feel like sharing? I thought about this a lot, Eric, mostly because I'm so riddled with afflictive emotions. <laughs> I'm going to refer you, uh, I'll talk about this, but I'm going to refer you, my first book, I wrote a chapter in my book, Power and Pain, part three, um, I wrote an entire chapter on this. Um, I think it's entitled something like the, the, the four arts of working with emotional upheaval. And so this is exactly in resonance with what you're asking. So maybe if, if, if you have that book, look at it, if not, you might want to look at it. Um, the arts are an acronym for the four ways, this is my languaging and my approach based on my understanding of, uh, especially um, Tibetan tantric Vajrayana Buddhism. The A-R-T-S stands for abandon it, remedy it, transform it, self-liberate it. And so what it is, is it's a more refined exploration of these four classic ways that are correlative, by the way, to the three yanas, actually the fourth, even four yanas in Tibetan Buddhism to work with these. And fundamentally, this is super important, my friend, um, because You know, especially in in Vajrayana, these types of afflictive emotions and obscurations, they don't obstruct the path, my friend. They are the path. Let me say that again. They don't obstruct the path. They are the path. And so bringing them onto the path is enormous and it's not easy. And so what I do with my little riff on this, which I'll summarize here, is Depending on how sophisticated you are with working with your mind and heart and your emotional energies, and depending on how much of a head of steam, how much momentum, how much force these emotional upheavals have, that will dictate which type of remedy you use. So if you, let's start with the top. If you have a very refined, sensitive relationship to the contents of your experience, you do the Sahaja the self-liberation. This is the highest form. This is the campfire dissolving into a a harmless, you know, harmlessly dissolving into the nighttime sky. You you recognize the energetic uh, display so quickly, it doesn't take off, that the minute it arises, the energy is still there, but because there's so much space and so much awareness, it harmlessly dissolves, like a campfire spark in the nighttime sky, and self-liberates, doesn't leave a trace, no karma left, it just then becomes really the shine and the ornament and the play in the mind. That's the highest form of self-liberation, the way the Siddhas, I I argue that's the way they actually work, you know, that they're, um, the play of the mind is still there, um, but the relationship is radically transformed. There's so much space in that kind of mind, so much light, so much awareness that when that energetic arises, it just immediately self-liberates. If you can't do that, and most of us can't, but with training we can, then usually what happens is, again, that campfire spark does not dissolve harmlessly into the nighttime sky, (laughs) no. It lands in a vat of gasoline, right? Welcome to my mind, right? Instead of self-liberating, it lands in kawoosh, there you go, propancha, proliferation. And that's where we live our chaotic, conflicted uh, emotional lives. And honestly, a lot of people love it. Let me say this again. A lot of people love the dramas, the drama kings and the drama queens. There, there's a, one study shown, it's a very famous study that given the choice um, of being with the contents of your mind or shocking yourself, <laughs> most people elected to shock themselves, really. <laughs> and not surprisingly more men than women. One guy was like, he just, he just couldn't be with the contents of his mind. I don't remember what the numbers were, but like 40, 40 times a minute or something. He was like, he goes, I would rather torture myself. <laughs> something bad is better than nothing or something bad is better than dealing with this display. <laughs> I mean, I thought there was like sadly hysterical. It's like, are you kidding me? Read the paper. It's like totally true. So some people love this stuff. They pay for it. You know, people don't watch art movies. They, they don't wanna watch paint dry. We pay to be entertained. More drama, more conflicting emotion, more, I mean, you know, the soap operas, whatever. Ego loves that stuff. We pay for it. It's, it's a multi-billion dollar success industry, right? We pay for it. Well, we pay for it with our lives too, right? So. Gets on a little bit of head esteem, then self liberation doesn't work anymore, it's too subtle. Then you can next step would be the tantric methods of transformation. Then, the greater the poison, the greater the, the potential medicine. And so, there you need the skill sets, you need the, the, the tantric alchemical um, tools to effect transformation way beyond what I can talk about here. That's where that skill set of the tantra comes in. If that doesn't work, then you have the whole antidote, at, at, antidote approach, the remedy approach from the Mahayana. Very powerful, the Lojong slogans and all the very powerful ways to actually bring antidotes, different from transformation. And then lastly, you have the the abandonment. Uh, And that means either abandoning it, like turning yourself into a log. Um, How many children once said this, you know, when all else fails, just visualize yourself as a stump, right? Just do something, don't move, don't act, just freeze. I like the directness on that. And so the abandoning it here, this ties into, and again, I'd love to hear, this doesn't sound like Longchenpa and Padmasambhava to me because this is like anti tantra What they're saying here, if they're saying it, this is a Theravada. Again, I'm not criticizing, this has a place. But Padmasambhava and Longchenpa were Siddhas, Mahasiddhas. So this is a little surprising that they would say that because what they're talking about here is stay in mountain retreat and avoid That's the grossest form of working with it. That's the abandonment avoidance approach. So why would, would tantric siddhas say that? That that to me is like kind of the last resort. doesn't, I I don't, I'm not challenging it but that makes sense to me. So my friend, um, working with the stuff is super important. Um, I also recommend, you know, to me and on this level because this is such a deep, super rich topic. I also bring in the Western psychological approaches here um, and there's some very, very sensitive um, writers along these lines. John Wellwood, his many books when it comes to relationship issues, Journey of a Heart, Perfect Love and Perfect Relationship, absolute gold standards around this stuff. He is a student of Trungpa Rinpoche, a uh, 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 deeply informed with Buddhism and deeply you know, a, a psychi- psychologist. Um, his, his work on relationships, brilliant. The other one I, I refer all the time, my dear friend Bruce Tiff of Already Free, Buddhism meets the, uh, Psychotherapy on the Path of Liberation. Really good book. So Eric, because the topic is just so colossal, I mean, literally entire books have written have been written on it and continue to be. So that's all I'm gonna say on it for now. Um, and I wanna open it up to some of the live questioners who have been waiting patiently. Good stuff today. There's a couple more written ones, I'll get to them, but let's turn to some of the live ones. Sure, we'll bring on um, Das first and then Myra.
1: Andrew, yes, sir. Uh, uh, really, uh, I'm, I'm really glad you went into that ARTS because uh, I, I kind of had some vague notions about that, but oh. that was very helpful, thank you. Um, my question is, um, You've you've studied you know the the Eastern or the Buddhist model, the Chittamatra model of mind, uh, as well as all your extensive study and dialogues with Western neuroscientists. So, uh, uh, has has the Western neuroscience uh, uh, strengthened or confirmed in your mind? The uh, Chittamatra model of the eight consciousnesses—that that, that model—or has, has the uh, Western uh, um, insights of neuroscience uh, sort of uh, taken you in a in a different direction, or or is there some limitations of the of the eight consciousnesses?
0: Well, I wouldn't say there's limitations, but there aren't there aren't that many scientists in the West that that really engage in overt exploration of the, of the eight consciousnesses. I mean, it's implied when you look at um, some of the stuff I've been talking about, you could actually talk about um, this kind of top-down processing um, being in, uh, um, kind of a flowering of the eight, of all the materials stored in the eighth consciousness. So most neuroscientists don't use that type of languaging. Um, right.
1: And, and, and can, I, can I just interrupt? Totally. Uh, uh, certainly Western neuroscientists wouldn't use that language and probably aren't even familiar with that model, right. but you're you're in a unique position where you've studied both, right?
0: Yeah, So so so.
1: So, so, that's, so I'm asking your opinion, not-
0: Oh, both. oh, oh, I see, okay. Yes, well, in that regard, yes. Then I would say there are definite um, correlations. I would, because again, both disciplines are talking about the dimensions and structure of mind, right? Um, charans are doing it from a first-person phenomenological approach. You know, they're, they're, it's called Yogacara because it's derived from yoga. Those insights are derived from first-person phenomenological exploration, i.e. meditation. Scientists do it the complete other end, right? So they explore it from the neuro end, and it's only really because, as you know, for the last thirty years, they've some, they've gotten some super interesting data from these meditators that they now start to become interested, like what's happening in the minds of these Olympians, these mental Olympians. And so, I yeah, so I I I do delight in dancing the neurophenomenological phenomenological thing. Francesco Borello is one of the first people to do it, then his whole kind of um, uh, almost a a lineage that he's created of contemplative neuroscientists. I do think that there's a tremendous amount of correlation and I think I learn a lot from these people. So like the ones again that I really pay attention to are the ones who do a little bit of of the phenomenological and personally. In other words, like Ruben and Tom and some of these other people who put who put their money where their mouth is and get on the cushion and actually explore some of these things? Richie Davidson, Antoine Lutz. I mean, there's a handful now, growing, growing. Alan Wallace coined the term "contemplative um, scientists," who are actually engaging in the practices themselves. The standard hardcore phenomenal uh, neuroscientists generally no, they they don't really go here because for them, you know, they're so reductionistic, they're so hardcore that brain mind equals brain, done deal, closed door. I don't wanna even talk to you if you think other than that. I'm not interested in talking to them. I mean, that's, that's, that's just hubris. That's just a myopic way of looking at things. But generally, um, I, I do think that more and more, especially these younger generation neuroscientists, and there's a bunch of them. We have a bunch of them in this group, it's so cool. And that's why that's what, that's what I get excited because I can come in, I'm invited, and I'm not a scientist, but I can speak their language a little bit. So I can come in and say, hey, try this, do this. And and, you know, I I get some really delightful, positive feedback from that sort of thing. So I'm really encouraged about it. And I think we're gonna see more and more of this type of thing, because again, what do they say, um, this this classic line, science proceeds, um, progresses funeral by funeral. (laughs) (laughs) I love that line. So does politics, right? Science progressed its funeral by funeral. I mean, some of these people are so ensconced, they're so attached to their views. I heard one scientist, say, and this is no kidding, he, was, he said literally, he said, I wouldn't believe this even if it was true. I mean, that's how they seem to be open-minded. They're not open-minded. A lot of them, there's observational bias, confirmation bias, so many places where they go astray. And so as the funerals continue to progress, and the younger generation continues to come up and fill their shoes, these millennials and, and, and whatnot, they're much more interested in, in actually participating in this dialogue and engaging in it. And so I'm actually very optimistic. Um, I, I, I chat a lot with these people now and I get excited about it. This younger generation is really exciting. So anything else along that line? I'm not sure I'm totally answering your question, but.
1: Well, I, I wanted to kind of focus on, on your personal opinion, <laughs> whether the science that you've studied validated uh, the eight consciousness model. Well, again, st-
0: it, does, it doesn't do so articulately because they don't they don't have that kind of correspondence. No. But as a general as a general finger painting, yes.
1: Okay, that, that's that's where as I was. As a thinking.
0: general finger painting, absolutely positively. Starting with Bruce Lipton, I mean, starting with so many of them, I could name thirty of them. Yes, generally speaking, I would say correct.
1: Okay. <laughs> And then uh, one quick follow-up question on the seventh consciousness, yeah. uh, the afflictive, uh, uh, you know, clishtamonics. Clishtamonics. Uh, what When one enters the path of, of seeing, what happens to that seventh consciousness? It's
0: transformed into the wisdom of equality. It's just not stable. So w- this is what open awareness leads you to. So each one of the eight consciousnesses, Ritranga Rinpoche um, on this, uh, um, and also Karl Bruhnholtzl, each one of the five of the eight consciousnesses transforms into the five wisdoms. And so even if it's at the path of seeing, it's not stable, but it's legit. The seven consciousness transforms into the wisdom of equality. It doesn't last, but it, it transforms. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Cool. Okay, Myra, fire away. If you're still there. Hey,
2: yeah, I'm losing my phone. Um, I guess I was in the same wavelength. I was rereading your power of pain uh, group. And I think that is the must reading next. I think we're still stuck trying to get a formula. I am, um, I'm talking for myself, it's my own projection too. We like formulas, we want, I like less, I like formulas or mantras or instructions. Um, however, um, with everything that you say, it's my impression that we are just keep chiseling, you know, from this corner of that corner, depending on our propensities of the way that we learn. But if we do not face that book, when you put it, it's just almost like we are still just in philosophy from a different perspective, from a spiritual perspective. And and I just everybody listening, I just been just delighted to read it again. And after listening to you for all these classes, everything makes sense in a different (laughs) way, because. I, and another thing, the other day I realized we, we still are looking for that emotion or that the skies are open or we're going to see the bush that is burning, but we have not slowed down to recognize what we see every day.
0: Yeah. Oh, the well, other
2: so- day, no. and just to finish with what I'm saying, I suggest that But Joe had the most beautiful meditation and it seems to me that it I had to listen back to notice that he pointed out to the true meditation and he went by. So at the end of the meditation, after 30 so many minutes of structured and hold and open and the eyes thing, then he said, our teacher Shogyan Trumpa, said that at the end, when you let go, that is the real meditation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we went into something else and we began to ask questions about technique and we missed the lesson or oh, at least I did at yeah. first. So how do we go about just that? Uh, can you just do that one book? <laughs> can <laughs> Again, I just do- can you read it?
0: Oh, you mean like in the book study group you mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally, we'll get to it. Um, yeah, thank you, you're so, you're so kind. Thank you for bringing the, your, you know, your endorsements very kind. I mean, I, I pretty much agree with everything you've said. Um, And so I'm just not entirely sure the the question that you're leaving me with is how to say say it again or say it.
2: How I sometimes I feel like this thing that we do where it's so important to have this soundboard and and the kindness of your offering of your time to answer questions from all different ways. And but I think sometimes we how do we get into slowing down to get that recognition, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, you
0: know, yeah, yeah, great question. Well, it, it, it comes back to something I pinged on just a little bit earlier, is understanding there are two um, three-part on-ramps to this. Um, I talk about these a lot because of the importance uh, of exploring these. First, of course, is this tripart- tripartite educational pedagogical approach, right? The three wisdom tools, the three pragnos, right? Hearing, hearing contemplation, meditating. Meditation. That, that in itself, it's, it's, it's not just the Buddhist, by the way, you'll find it in, in, in the, the Indic traditions, you'll find it in Kashmir Shaivism, three pillars of Vedanta. This is a classic deep spiritual pedagogical approach um, that hearing, I'm sorry, um, yes, hearing and contemplating, you're working with conceptual mind, you're working with thoughts, you're working with uh, mental content um, but it only takes you so far because fundamentally that's what makes what we're doing here different from philosophy and science you know fundamentally we want to become yogis and yoginis where we can have what's called yogic direct valid cognition not direct or inferential but we we see it directly with a meditative eye exactly what the yogacara masters did remember derived from yogacara with yogic direct valid cognition They see with the heart, mind for themselves that this is in fact the way it is. And so we have to really deeply get that into our heart, um, into our bones, that that's the the only way. You can't think your way into this. You just can't. How does a thing-thinking-based, a thought, a thing-based process wrap itself around something that's no-thingness? It's like, again, the master of the one-liner, Trungpa Rinpoche, ego can't attend its own funeral. It, It just doesn't work. Um, usually exclusive. And so that also then joins in with the other three-part approach, which is hearing, contemplating, meditating leads to understanding, experience, realization. So understanding is, is a result of hearing and contemplating. Oh, I get it, I understand, I, uh, I got it, I understand. Well, but now you have to stand under to really play with that word. You have to stand under that understanding and that's direct experience. Related to Premdas's question, that's the the path of seeing. That's when you see for the first time. That's incredibly important. Then you you have this glimpse that also ties earlier to the discussion on psychedelics. It's experience, but it's not realization. It's a state, it's not a trait, it's not stable. So then through the process of familiarity, the fourth path of meditation, then you you transform the state into a trait. At that point, um, when that's completed, that's called the path of no more learning, that's Buddhahood. So you work. You have to really, and I say this at the introduction to every single program I teach, bar none, because this is so important. This is what separates us from philosophers. This is what makes what we're doing here different from any other approach. Where yeah, we flap our lips, we blah blah blah, but at a certain point, that only goes so far. You know, I mean, my my friend David Loy says something about it. He paraphrased it this way, where he said. Uh, paraphrasing him, he said, philosophy arose fundamentally as a way to solve the problems of duality. Well, if you solve the problem of duality, you don't need philosophy, right? <laughs> you, you don't need any of this stuff. You don't need any of it. But until then, we do the hearing, contemplating, meditating that leads to understanding, experience, and realization. And really the entire path can be kind of uh, mapped under these um, rubrics, so to speak. So. Something like that. Super good question <laughs> and really important. Okay. Yes, thanks. Cool. So um, if, if we have another live or dead one, oh, maybe, not dead one. maybe not. there's a couple that came in from Chantal. I feel the ability to self-liberate and to create that space is through meditation. There you go, absolutely. Can't do it any other way. I say that because my growing shaman to practice is helping me not be affected by events that would normally get me hooked. I I can't say it any better than that. Bingo. I just agree with you 100%. Raul, strange question connected to the brain activity topic. I love thinking of dying. Uh, I do too. We're both pretty sick people then, Raul. I reflect on it. I mean, this is is a form of thinking that is incredible. It's called the supreme contemplation, right? Of all the footprints, the footprint of the uh, elephant is the deepest and most supreme of all contemplations, the contemplation on impermanence and death is the deepest and most supreme. So you're thinking like the Buddha, Raul. Well, well, this is what, in fact, I think I still have it behind me. I did, I did a talk for uh, embodied philosophy. I'm starting a class with them in two weeks. We did a free talk yesterday. You can still get it. If you go to the embodied philosophy, it's a freebie. It's an intro course, um, I like a four week thing on the Tibetan Book of the Dead for them. And so I mentioned last night when I was introducing the course, the first free open talk that this is in fact raul, what led to the buddha's enlightenment he stopped he started at the end up here the wheel of life he started with death in a type of 12-step detox process or using ruben's language um deconstruction process annihilation process of all this predictive processing he worked his way back to reality so uh, this is worth a little ping here raul because thinking about dying if you do it properly, it will lead to your awakening. It, it led to the Buddha's awakening. Oh, look what you say here. It wakes me up and it gives me energy. See, you're just like the Buddha, which I find energizing for the day. But sometimes if I think about dying before bed, it activates my brain and wakes me up to the point that sometimes it's hard to, to uh, fall asleep. So don't do that. <laughs> Is that common? I don't know, Ro. I don't know. Um, I can't answer that. What is common is if you do something that activates things, that's common, definitely will be harder to fall asleep. I can't answer the question if reflecting on on death and dying, um, because that's pretty uncommon to begin with. Is that how someone gonna prevent you from falling asleep? I can't answer that, I don't know. I'm probably just a state junkie, we all are. How could I use that energy in a useful way to have light dreams? well, when you say light dreams, do you just mean lighter dreams or dreams of light? Um, like lucid dreams. You can always harness that energy. I mean, that's the tantric thing, right? Transforming that energy. That would require some real back and forth in terms of actually harnessing that for purposes of, of lucidity. And so, because that's probably a little bit more than what I can do in this format, I'm, if we, with your permission, I might let that part go. But bottom line is great contemplation, keep doing it. If you have a hard time doing that, when you fall asleep, just don't do it. Or if you have an opportunity where we can chat more and you can explore transforming that energy, harnessing it, it's a type of wind horse, rising energy. Want to ride that energy into lucidity. There are ways to do that. But that's a little bit more than we can talk about right now. Okay, from Barry, oh, my dear friend, Barry, always so nice to hear from you. Not wanting to get too woo-woo, hey, why not? I mean, we're pretty woo-woo here, right? Why stop now? But have you seen close encounters of a fifth kind on Amazon Prime? No, I haven't. That's direct contact with people out there and some interesting evidence and techniques involving consciousness and meditations, thought it was really interesting. Oh, I love these recommendations. I have not seen it. It sounds like it's in line with what uh, now the new lingo is called EXO studies. Um, and I actually hope to interview a, a, a pretty big um, thinker along these lines coming up, but I have not heard of that Barry. I will check it out. Thank you. Is there a link to the recording from yesterday you can give us? Ah, I can't, I don't know what it is. Uh, it's, I, I have two computers open And I I, I don't know where to pull it, but you can find it. You just go to embodied philosophy. You can find this. Just go to embodied philosophy. um, And we just did it last night. It's gonna be live for 48 hours. If you find it there, you'll just ping it. Uh, It'll be there guaranteed. Um, I I don't have a link for it. Um, Sorry, but it's there. I think Barry just posted it in the chat. Oh, good old Andy, he does everything. Okay, anybody else or are, are we good for today? Gosh, it was fun to be back with you guys. Joe, do you have anything to say or let me ping through these comments. My dear friend Joe, if he has anything to say, that's always, always most welcome. Oh, cool, I'm just going through the chat room thing just to see if anything comes up. Yeah, okay, I think we got most of this. There are a few new ones if you want me to add them to the uh, to the document. Really oh, quick. wait a second. Andy, take, oh, I didn't bring my phone here. I want to write this. Andy, save the chat room because Tessa sent me thing, something here. Yeah, Tess, mm-hmm. uh, I am interested. Um, she's going to help me if, um, find an agent. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so Andy, if you could hold this, I will email her and, and she can help me with that. That's really great. So I don't have my, usually take a, oh, I do, hold on. It's, a, it's such a crack up, right? I mean, it's just like ridiculous, it's so sad. Okay, so I got, I literally, I have two computers open. I've got one over here that is relegated. I can't open it. I've got my my so-called smartphone. I've got my Apple watch. It, it, it's like, I'm so hooked up. It's like ridiculous here. So, but sometimes this stuff comes in handy. So I'm gonna take her address here. Thank you for that kind offering that's very sweet. I'm trying to find, I, I, I don't need to worry with that. Okay. so. Psychedelics, integration is the key. Yeah, some of these comments on the chat column, if you haven't read them, are really good. Integration is the key. Integration in this languaging is transforming states into traits. Literally, embodiment, incorporation, right? Incorporation is integration. Working it down, waking it down into your soma. So that is totally spot on. Okay. Other than that, I think we're good. I added uh, two last comments if you wanna check them out into the document. Oh, okay. Where are they? Um, Oh, there they are, Karen and Eric. Okay, I'll get these two and then we'll call We'll call it for today because I have another call coming in. Mm -hmm. Cool, okay. Karen, my dreams have a voiceover. Whoa, a voiceover caption summary. Oh my God, this is interesting. My dreams have a voice over caption summary happening that seems to come from the self, bits of wisdom. I'm presently in an individuation intensive with a Jungian psychologist, good for you. Since I heard you say consciousness is a continuum from deep sleep to dream yoga to lucid dreaming to everyday wake to enlightenment, I have been remembering several dreams every night. Awesome, Karen, keep it up. Keep it up. As you start to work more and more with awareness, lucidity principle, it will start to affect you. You will remember more dreams. You'll have um, more lucid dreams, lighter dreams eventually. Um, yeah, all I can say is fantastic, good for you. Lovely to hear. From Eric again, I think the verse was pointing, oh, this is Langchampa Padmasambhava. I think the verse was pointing to the importance of staying in retreat until Rigpa is stabilized which makes sense, just speculating. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I can't remember which recording context I heard the statement in. Well, even there, Eric, you're gonna be in a retreat for a long time <laughs> until Rigpa is stabilized. So here's the deal with this, my friend, and these are good comments. It takes a long time to stabilize Rigpa, right? So um, yes, there's tremendous power to retreat, absolutely, positively. I'm a, I'm a retreat junkie, right? But in this day and age, really, it's um, mixing retreat with life. And so, my riff on this is just work with both. Go into retreat, stabilize, enhance, then step back into the world, into the marketplace, so to speak. See how stable things are. How how you can hold your seat. Because um, fundamentally, the retreat becomes a near enemy. You you want to be equipped with a skill set, Eric, and that's what the tantric methods are really designed to do where you can enter lifetime retreat in the midst of daily life. You don't have to go into retreat anymore. Um, That's the fruition where where you can actually bring the retreat mind with you. So practically speaking, my friend, I would do both. The retreat thing is super helpful to reconnect, to restabilize, to kind of recenter, but don't, and again, there's near enemies everywhere. If you spend too much time in retreat, that can become a very subtle or not so subtle form of spiritual bypassing you know, I'm just gonna hang out here in my stabilized little samadhi. That's the trap of these jnana states and the samadhi states and the absorption states. Um, And so fundamentally, Rigpa, you know, Rigpa is not complete as the Dharmakaya until it's integrated, this ties into so many narratives of today, until that kind of waking up is balanced with with waking down. It's not awake until the Chakaya is actualized, not just Dharmakaya. And so usually, Rigpa is associated with Dharmakaya, complete Rigpa is associated with the Trakaya, which means you you have to bring it into any circumstance, into any form, into any body, into any manifestation. So I would work with both, because if you just kind of, especially in this day and age, paying off into retreat, take a look, that can really just be a very subtle form of spiritual bypassing. So I would work with both. From Jared, last one, and then we'll end it for today. I had this dream where I was taught an invisibility spell called night stepping, where you picture rainbow light on the soles of your feet. That's pretty cool. Would be pretty cool if this exists somewhere. Haha. Ha. has anyone heard something similar? <laughs> no, Jared, I have not, but I have heard of something slightly connected in a, in a totally different, different tractors was called, and check out this name. This comes from the tradition. I am not making this up. It's called Subterranean Samadhi. (laughs) What a hoot, right? Subterranean Samadhi. (laughs) And what you do with this, what you do with this practice is you visualize black pearls at the soles of your feet as a way to pull the winds and the energy down. So like a little bit earlier, I can't remember who asked the question about um, death and dying. Um, I guess it was Raul, right? Not being able to fall asleep. You can, but Raul, one technique is you can engage in the subterranean samadhi where, where you visualize little black pearls on the bottom of your feet. is a way to draw the winds. It's called stream path to the middle. The winds are too high here. You bring your mind really low. That kind of draws them down to the heart center. But Jared, maybe you can start your own lineage and tradition here, the the rainbow light on the soles of your feet tradition. (laughs) I love playing with you guys, but hey, why not? You know, I like it, it's got kind of a nice ring, right? A little bit wordy, but not so bad. The rainbow light on the soles of your feet tradition. I belong to that school. Um, You never know, my friend, really, you could be onto something. I have not heard of that. I hope it's okay if I give you a little jab, Um, If we can't be humorous with each other, what's the point, right? Um, But hey, everybody, really nice to see you again. Let's do this totally geeky thing where now, not only do we turn all our cameras on, we briefly turn all our mics on. Look, everyone's going to turn their cameras off. Look. Except <laughs> Hi. Hi bye bye. So bye. So bye. bye everybody. Thank you so much. Hi. It hey, sounds man. like my bye. mind. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like the way my mind.
2: Is. Perfect. <laughs>
0: right. awesome. Thank you. Thanks
2: everyone. Bye. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> thanks, Thank, Andrew. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> bye. Ciao.